This is Mental Selling. This is the sales podcast for people that are dedicated to making a difference in customers' lives and have a purpose beyond just a paycheck. I'm your host, Will Milano. Let's get right into the show. How do top sales producers get to the top and what keeps them there? Success in sales is so much more about who you are and what you believe than it is about what you do. But belief is a really broad term. When we talk about belief in sales, what do we really mean? And why is it the biggest factor in what sets the top 1% of salespeople apart from all the rest? I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions, and thanks so much for joining the Mental Selling Podcast, your favorite sales podcast, from wherever and whenever you might be listening. Today, I have the pleasure of being joined by Scott Ingram. And given the theme of this show, he's someone that I've been eager to speak with for quite a while. Scott is founder of Sales Success Media, a quota-carrying and B2B sales professional with more than two decades of sales experience. Scott's the author of Sales Success Stories, 60 Stories from 20 Top 1% Sales Professionals. And he's the host of his own podcast, Sales Success Stories, and the driver of the Daily Sales Tips podcast. Scott, welcome, and thank you so much for speaking with me today. Great to be with you, Will. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be a good one. So let's start with something I know you have a very clear perspective about that I want our audiences to hear. When you have looked at the top 1% of sales performers, what have you seen that sets them apart? Yeah. And, and just by way of, of context here. So I, I started the Sales Success Stories podcast about six and a half years ago, and I only interviewed number one and top 1% individual contributors. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm now over 150 conversations in, into that podcast. So I've, I've developed a pretty good sense of, of kind of what some of these commonalities are. The title of your podcast is so, so great because the first and, and most fundamental piece is uh, around mindset and belief. And the, the way I think about the belief component is really in, in three pieces, right? So the, the first is it's belief in whatever it is you're selling. And it's belief in the impact of, of what you're selling on the person that you're selling it to, right? That, that's a big piece of it. But the other two pieces are more internal, right? It's, it's belief in themselves. It's belief in, in their approach. And it's belief in their process. What I've really learned in talking with these top performers is they have a consistent way that they sell. And usually tend to be students of the craft, right? Almost mm. nobody is, oh, well, I am a challenger seller and that is my playbook and that is the only thing that I do. It's, it's more, look, I've, I've studied and researched and read a lot of books about a lot of different approaches and I've tried different things over the years. And over time, I've sort of assembled my own process, right? My own approach that fits me, that fits my customers, that fits what it is that I'm selling. And there's a deep level of belief in, in that process, but that process isn't just the sales process. Mm-hmm. It's also, and this is something else I'm, I'm super passionate about because it's my own superpower. It's their productivity process, right? Yeah. It's the way that they are structuring their day and structuring their week and tackling their territory and the opportunity that they have over the, over the course of a year. So it's, it's a belief in all of those things. And if that can all come together, they're, they outperform by orders of magnitude. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll talk about productivity and time management a little bit later, but to, to build on something that you're saying, 
if the belief isn't there, then also the, the commitment to doing the necessary activities won't be there. You'll start to see a lot of excuse making and call avoidance and things like that, right? Well, sure. And, and I think underlying a lot of this is there, there tends to be some type of a why, right? There's something driving them right. and, and this behavior. Um, and again, I mean, what that is, is, is all over the board. I mean, it's interesting to me. I, there's been a lot of folks who there's some type of uh, immigrant story or, or they came from a disadvantaged background. And there's, mm -hmm. there's a lot of chips on a lot of shoulders <laughs> that drives a lot of people. For a lot of folks, it's, it's family, right? Like, it's just wanting to, to provide and, and take care of themselves. And yeah, for a lot of people, it's, it's just, it's pride, right? It, it's like, I want to be great. And, and that's another, again, as we think about kind of this mindset piece, very rarely do I see them worried about comparing themselves to others. They're really comparing themselves to their best self, right? It's, it's a very intrinsic thing, right? It's like, I know I can be better. And, and that is kind of the ultimate comparison. Yeah. That's what we should all do, right? Every, we should never compare ourselves to other right. people, but compare ourselves to what our best selves could be. That's a really good point. I would also add around the belief, our point of view also includes that it's there's got to be belief about what selling itself means, right? Because so many salespeople get into the profession by by accident, right? They didn't go to college to be a salesperson. And they might have, maybe you've seen this, they might have some conscious or subconscious baggage about what selling actually means, right? I've experienced this. I mean, the this whole podcast adventure for me has been so interesting because I bought into some of the negative stereotypes myself, even having come into this with, with probably a decade of experience in, in sales. And, and one of those ideas, you know, is as I sought out to learn from the best of the best and, and those who are, who are performing at the highest levels today, I thought that there would be a lot of money drive, a lot of ego, a, a lot mm -hmm. of, I don't know, just selfishness. Yeah. The reality is I have found that the very best performers tend to be the most selfless. What they care about their, the most is their clients and their clients' outcomes. And by focusing on that, all of the other stuff tends to follow. They perform at higher levels. They have amazing W-2s. They find themselves at the leaderboard, at the top of the leaderboard. And it's not because that's what they're trying to do. It's because what they're ultimately trying to do is, is be the, the best provider to, to really truly serve their clients and, and all the other stuff comes as a byproduct. Yeah. If, if that's your, your true inner focus and that's where your compass is pointed, like you said, everything else will cascade off of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so again, it's counterintuitive. And, and I think to your point about, you know, people coming into this, there's just, there, there's so many wrong stereotypes about what sales is. And, yeah. you know, at its core, when you do it right, it truly is a noble profession, right? Where this is, this is about service. This is about helping people and, and making an impact, being able to impact. I mean, many of us are in, are in B2B sales, right? So, you know, we're, we're impacting a business, but if you do that well, you're impacting somebody's career, Right. You're you're impacting them as a as a professional and what they're able to provide for for their own families. Yes. And you're impacting people's lives. You're impacting your customer's customer, which should be a big part of your focus is that that view down the line of 
beyond your customer, but but to their customer. Great point. Something we do a lot when we talk to to rooms of sales leaders about what drives sales success is we'll ask them to put a rough percentage between zero and 100 of their team's success based on things like product knowledge and selling skills and the core sort of blocking and tackling of sales. So that's on one side. And then the other side will say, you know, what percentage are of the successes based on more intangible things like things like we're discussing beliefs, attitudes, motivation, achievement, drive, et cetera. And inevitably, the latter is viewed as somewhere between 75 and 90% of what really matters and makes a salesperson succeed long-term. But then you ask them what portion of their training focuses on those things, and the room suddenly goes really silent. <laughs> I want your perspective on this, because if belief is such a big factor in sales performance, then what do you think companies get wrong about onboarding and training their salespeople? Unfortunately, I think it primarily comes down to a leadership gap. I think that there has been a lot of emphasis in recent years on really this, this more like management by the numbers kind of approach where we're looking at, you know, whatever the metrics of the business are, right? We're, we're looking at the leads, we're looking at the activities, we're looking at the number of opportunities and close percentages and, and all of this stuff. And we're not looking carefully enough at the human that is driving those activities. And so here, here's the thing that like, I think it, it has ultimately come to for me again, doing all of this work with top performers and, and seeing kind of this leadership coaching gap. Virtually everybody that I have talked to that is at the top of their game is there because they have figured out their own superpower. They mm -hmm. have figured out what they're really good at, what their kind of unique value is, and they lean into that really, really hard. And that's what allows them to perform a super high level. Now, what that is, is all over the place. I mean, I, I would say, you know, I've had a pretty good balance of the people I've, I've interviewed between introverts and extroverts, right? And, and for a lot of introverts, they're, they're super thoughtful. They go really deep in, in understanding their client. They're really good kind of one-on-one -on -one with individual stakeholders and, and building those types of, of relationships, which might be really, really different from somebody who's more extroverted and is taking a, a, a different uh, approach, right? And the, the challenge is and the difference in the lazy managing by numbers versus mm -hmm. managing each individual like that doesn't scale as well right you really have to put in the work and work with each individual to understand where are they in in each of those belief categories that we talked about earlier do they believe in the product do they believe in the impact that it can have on clients do they believe in themselves do they believe in their process like are there gaps there and you have to work on each and every one of those elements. One of the things that I think from, from a, again, kind of coaching this belief idea that, that we really miss, you, you called out the product knowledge. It's, it's almost irrelevant. What's more important is customer knowledge. How well do you understand your customer? How well do you understand their challenges? I, I did an interview years ago, but this, this is so continued to, to impact me. Uh, it was a conversation with Colin Spector and, and Colin has ad advanced many steps uh, in his career since this conversation, but Colin was the top AE at Namely. And actually he'd been the top 
person in every role that he had in the organization. I think he came in as an SDR and, and kind of progressed from there. But as he was just getting started, all of the work that he did was to get inside the head of his customers. He wasn't worried about understanding the product. So he was on Quora asking questions, really trying to understand. He was just reaching out uh, to, to people that were in his territory, not to sell them anything, but just to learn about them and understand them and understand how they made these decisions and, and how this type of solution impacted them, how they used it. That made him powerful. And the more that you can kind of understand that, the more that you can understand customer win stories. In, initially, these won't be your own right? These won't be the stories of the clients that you sold because maybe you haven't sold any clients yet, right? So, so these will be the stories of other clients in the early stages, but then over time, they become the stories of your own clients that you impacted, where you have a relationship with the person that directly saw that impact, who now becomes your champion, who becomes that person who will do a reference call for you. Right. And, and that's, that's where we're able to kind of put all of this together. But, but again, coming back to this coaching idea is we just have to spend the time with each individual and, and figure out their thing. And I think we've all seen somebody struggle with going from, Hey, I was a really strong sales performer. I was a great individual contributor. And then they move in, up into leadership and they fail because they try to make everybody do it the way they did it. Right. You try to cookie. Try to cookie cutter versus me. Yeah, like you exactly. said earlier, meeting each of your salespeople where he or she is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I had not not the worst boss, but but I, you know, I had an ineffective leader that that I worked for because he was a great seller, and he wanted me to do and say the things that worked for him, but they could not work coming from me. I'm not him. Yeah, you have to coach people to their own individual strengths and not in in your own image because everybody they. Their communication style is going to be different. Their tenure, all, all of those things are going to be yeah. different. I think the other thing that uh, I would add about what you said about product knowledge is that for the most part, the customer wouldn't be on the phone or, or Zoom call or in the room with you if they weren't already keenly aware of what your product did, right? They, so it, it's table stakes. So you're, you're wasting a lot of time by regurgitating the product knowledge that is so readily at everybody's fingertips today. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying it's, it's irrelevant, but, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's more important to understand, like, what does it mean? Like, forget about the feature, but, but what is the impact? How does that then show up for clients that, that implement successfully? Yeah. And then the, the thing you were saying about coaching, I think is you know, there's the managing to the numbers. Like I always think of it as a, like a Venn diagram, right? There's leading, managing, and coaching. And the managing piece is included, is around the numbers and, and you've got to mm -hmm. do that piece. But so often sales leaders mistake that for coaching. They think that then when they're just having discussions about pipeline and numbers that they're actually coaching and it's a totally different piece of the pie. It's an input. It's, it's an ingredient, right? We need to understand yeah. that. But I mean, what, what I look for in my leaders, like I want a great collaborator. Like I'm already pretty good. <laughs> I come with good ideas. I need help like polishing the diamond. Like yes. take my idea, take my approach. Let's work through that together. Let's role play that if, if we need to and make it that much better. But in the end, it's mine. It's not theirs. 
Let's talk a little bit more about the the superpowers thing because I really I I like that and you talked a bit about it. But when you say sales superpowers, how does a salesperson figure out what their unique superpower is? How do they sort of go down that journey? And do they need others to help pull it out of them? Yeah, that, it's, it's the last part of your question that that's the important part, right? Because I, I think a lot of times we can't always see what we're great at. It's, it's, it's really this idea, it's the curse of knowledge, right? When, yeah. when you're great at something and it comes really easily to you, we often think like, well, there's, that's no big deal. Like anybody could do that. It's so easy, but yeah. it can be really difficult for a lot of people. So, you know, I, I think a lot of times, like there's, there's a huge element of introspection, right? And, and kind of looking at what is it that I'm doing that's working, what's not working, all of those things. But it's also really helpful to get outside of yourself and get the perspective of others. And I mean, oftentimes we can get this from our peers. We can get this from our leaders. I like to get it from my customers. I like to go and talk to the people that I have successfully sold to and just ask them, why? Right. Why did you, why did, not only why did you buy this, but why did you buy from me? Right. right. What, what did you like about what I did as, as we worked through this process together? What didn't you like? And similarly, just understanding that from, from a, a, a loss's perspective and heck ask them, what do you think my superpower is? I mean, you can literally be that direct. Yeah. And say, look, I'm, I'm just trying to get some feedback on myself and, and my process and I'm trying to improve and you can't hurt my feelings. I'm in sales. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, tell me, tell me, you know, what it is that, that you think I'm great at. Tell me where you think that I'm, I'm not as strong and maybe some areas that, that I can work on. And if you do that enough, you need more than one or two data points. But if you do that enough, you're going to start to notice some commonalities. You're going to start to notice some themes. Yeah. And those are probably the areas that, that you should lean into. And I'm a, I'm a big believer that your strengths are way more powerful if you lean into them than it is worrying about kind of shoring up your weaknesses. It's not about trying to become good at everything. It's, a, it's more about leaning into what you're truly great at. And I, you're right. I think customers will be brutally honest with you. Yeah. I mean, if, if you give them the opportunity, right? I mean, if, if you can make it safe, right? If, if you have enough of a real relationship there, they'll tell you. Yeah, absolutely. Something we, we touched on before we started recording that I think is a really important piece of this. And, and it's to talk a bit about the quota and <laughs> compensation angle, angle or, or piece of the impact that quota and compensation can have on mindset and confidence and beliefs. What might leaders be getting wrong about their approach to quota and compensation setting? And, and also, how should just salespeople themselves be viewing their performance when it comes to the, the context of, of quota? I'm really glad we, we can talk about this because I, I think it's an area that, um, again, I believe that the, the philosophy that has been driving the, the way that quotas have been structured is, is maybe a little bit backwards. And at the same time, um, I, I think a lot of, a lot of sellers don't understand the psychology or not the psychology, but, but kind of the framework and the thought process be, behind some of those numbers. And I think it's, it's performing a disservice, uh, to us as, as an industry at, at the core of this, I really feel like if, if we take the psychology into account, Winners are going to win and losers are going to lose. 
But the way that we're structuring our quotas today is creating more losers. And what I mean by that is, and, and I think a lot of this has, has in recent years kind of come from the VC kind of SaaS community. And there's been this philosophy that suggests something like if more than 70% of your sellers are making their number or at 100% or above, then your quota is too low. And you need to raise the quota because we shouldn't have more than 70% above plan. That is messed up. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and and here, and so what happens there? So here I, I think the the scenario where who really gets hurt in this is those who are just below that number. So imagine you've got a seller who's at 85% of their number. Well, in in that philosophy, they're actually above your expectation. They're above that 70% threshold, but it feels to them like they're underperforming, like they're yeah. losing and they're worried. They're stressed. They don't know, like, is my job safe? All of that stuff. That sucks. That is a horrible place to be. And I, I think it would be far more productive from a, a positive psychology perspective. If your expectation is 70%, why don't we just call that 100%? Now, you can always decouple the quota from the compensation, right? Those don't have to be the same thing. And so maybe uh, the way I would approach this is, look, 100%, your quota is your job, right? And I think that's what most sellers think is happening, not understanding kind of the inner workings of what's happening. And so if they're not at 100%, they're worried. So let's just make it real. Let's make it so that, yeah, if you're not at 100%, maybe you should be worried. We probably do need to be working on this and coaching on this and sort of managing to that particular expectation. But above that, let's help people win. So that's where you can yeah. kind of put your accelerators in place. 100% is your job. Anything above that, now you're earning President's Club. Now you're getting higher commission rates, right? Now, now things mm -hmm. are getting juicy and fun and exciting and those folks are going to perform better. I did one of my own daily sales tips on this kind of late in the year because I was just looking at my own psychology and, and my own behaviors. When I'm above my numbers, I, I'm better. I'm less stressed. I'm not worried. I'm not doing dumb things. I don't discount as much. Like just all of these things that you want your sellers doing, they don't have to do they don't, they're not doing bad business when they're above plan. So why wouldn't we lean into that idea? So again, I just, I think there's a really big disconnect there. I, I think the underlying uh, approach in terms of, of how we're setting quotas is, is messed up. And then there's, again, just this lack of understanding by the sellers themselves. And if, if we were just open about that process, like, let's talk about where we are. This happened within my own organization that I, I sell for. I'm a quota carrying sales professional and yeah. I was working with my CEO and we kind of took a balanced approach on this, right? It was like, okay, well, we're, we're going to set the, the expectation, you know, what we, where we really need to be is everybody at 90% or above, and then we're good and everything's great. And so we put that number in that way. So there's a little bit of, of a gap there, right? So really 90% is kind of a hundred percent in that model, but everybody knows we talked about it. We were transparent about the numbers and how we sort of came to, to that conclusion. I think that's the most important piece. 
like really helping people understand what is the true expectation. When are you winning and when do you need to be worried based on reality? Well, and it echoes so much of what you spoke about a little while ago, which is coaching to the individual. Everybody's not the same. It's not cookie cutter. And this idea of quoted that it shouldn't be black or white also, that you're either, if you're above 100%, you're great. If you're below 100%, you've failed. And also the context of meeting each of the salespeople where they are. A, a salespeople in a certain given time period and year that's at 85%, that, you can view that as a huge success based on where they came from, right? Where they might've been a year before or six months before. So it's, there's gotta be a, a much more nuanced as you're saying, a much more nuanced view on an individual level. Now, to be fair, I mean, that's that's kind of the core of your team, right? That, that's your B player. The, the A players, because that's who I talk to, they're yeah. going to look at your number and they're going to laugh <laughs> and then they're going to set their own number, right? They're going to mm -hmm. say, hey, that's cool. That's, a, that's fine for the expectation for everybody else. Typically, they're going to start their own thinking, their own mindset at my number for myself is 200% of that number, or for some it's 300% of that number, depending on what that reality is. And they're going to manage themselves to that, right? They're going to manage themselves to a whole different level of, of expectation. And then even when those folks have an off year, they're 150% of your number. They might've let themselves down a little bit, but they're still overperforming. But that and that alludes to something I've interviewed one of my colleagues on this podcast. And one of the things he talks about is the importance of when you get into goal setting, just what you're talking about, that the salesperson has to be involved in setting that goal versus it just being handed down from on high because they'll buy. I think he puts it as they'll buy into their goals much more than they'll buy into yours. And so that's got that's part of coaching, too, is that's got to be a very collaborative discussion, right? Well, that, that's exactly it. And, and you said the magic word, like that is the coaching, right? I can't give you the ingredients. I can't say, Will, your why is this. Th yeah. This is why you're going to be driven. <laughs> right. And this is the breakdown of your numbers, right? Your goal is 150%. In order to get there, you're going to need to set, you know, make this number of calls and set this number of meetings and close this percentage of opportunities and yada, yada, yada. Like, no, 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 no. You, you, they have to be able to, you need to give them those ingredients, but they have to be the ones that build them for themselves. I need yeah. to be able to determine what my why is. I need to determine, you know, what is my goal number and why is that my goal number? And then I need to be able to drive like based on the way that I work on things, the way that I am most effective based on my superpowers, what are sort of the inputs and the activities that's going to take for me to get to that level. I had a great conversation with Luke Floyd, who's the number one top performer at Deal. Mm -hmm. And the conversation I had with Luke uh, real early in this year was, he's like, look, I, I've, I always set my number at 200%. I've done 200% the last X number of years. He said, this year, I'm not worrying about that number. I'm not worrying about the results at all. All I'm worried about is what are my inputs? Like, what, mm -hmm. what am I doing? How am I managing the things that I can control? Because if I do the best me against those activities and those actions, I know like the two, three, 400% is going to work itself out on the back end. I'm only just going to worry about these inputs. 
it's much more important to break down that goal that you might have 12 months from now into the, what do I have to be doing this week, this month? Today. To take step, to today, to take steps toward that. Yeah. So, so I want to ask you a, a selfish question just because I've, I've always been really impressed by what you've written and the podcast that you put out and, and you're a huge creator of quality content and thought leadership. And as a marketing leader, I obviously have a big belief in content as a driver for customer engagement and building your brand and, and ultimately selling. I think it, ha it has a big role. As a salesperson and sales leader, how do you describe the role that good content plays in engaging with and developing relationships with buyers? This is such a fun question. Now, now to be fair, I am totally the Tom Sawyer of content because if you look at all that I do, I have other people do all of the work for me. If, if you look at the Sales Success Stories book, those are 60 stories, 57 of which came from other people. Yeah. Three of them are, are my own, right? So yeah. in, in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm just kind of collecting these stories and, and assembling them through the podcast and through the books and, and through these other things. But as, as we go back to kind of the, the core of this, of this content idea, um, John Jantz wrote, wrote a book a number of years ago that has the best um, tagline ever. So, so the book is called Duct Tape Selling, mm -hmm. um, but his tagline is think like a marketer and sell like a superstar. Now, part of this is just my own empathy in the work that I do because I sell to marketers. I like to really get inside their head. And part of doing that is what can I be doing that sort of matches their day-to-day -day so that I can learn it and understand it myself a little bit better. So, so my approach and kind of where I'm coming at with this is, is maybe a little bit different. The motivation is a little bit different from those of other people, but content and, you know, to, to me, content is more about the relationship than the actual content and the actual output. And what I mean by this, and, and actually James Carberry wrote a book um, that I swear to God is my playbook. He, he wrote a book called Content-Based Networking. And, and so, like I said, the, the content itself, like the, the podcast episode, the book, the article, the, the whatever it is, to me is gravy. What I'm really looking at is the relationship that I can build through the development and creation of the content. And this is one of the reasons why I love podcasts so much, because we just get to have a conversation. And by nature of having this conversation, we get to know each other. And if I provide the platform for that conversation, I get to provide value to you. So for example, in my day job, um, I host a podcast for Relationship One. I host a podcast called Inspired Marketing. And that podcast for me is only about opening doors and or adding value for my clients. So I, right. my hit rate on this is so ridiculous. I can reach out to somebody cold that is in sort of my target demographic. And it's basically like, Will, I have seen and heard about some of the things that you're doing. They look really awesome. I would love to have you on this Inspired Marketing podcast. Would you be willing to join me? Yeah. It's like a 70 to 80% success rate on a cold outreach because I have a platform that I built from nothing, right? The first people I interviewed, like 
people want to be on podcasts. It's a cool thing. They want to be able to share their stories and talk about their successes and have this platform. And so I'm able to provide that for them. But here's what happens over the course of that process. So we might do a little bit of a, of a prep conversation. So I'm going to reach out and say, hey, you know, what, what's, the, what's the project? Like, what's the initiative that we're going to talk about that we can focus on where you saw some great success, right? So we start to get to know each other a little bit. Then the way I, I structure that conversation, and obviously you can go listen to these. It's kind of a discovery call, right? But again, it's all about them. All I'm talking about was what was this project? What did you do? Where did you struggle? How did you break through? What were the results? What's next? And inevitably what happens, it's the most brilliant conversation to a sales discussion that's, that's ever happened, is we then finish that interview. And, and then, and Will, you know this, like the magic happens before and after you're actually in the recording. Because I, I don't know what it is. There's like this psychological thing that now we have to unburden ourselves. Because a lot of times in that interview itself, they're a little bit guarded, right? This is professional. This is related to their company, which is, which is probably, I mean, in, in my case, these are often Fortune 500 companies. So they have to be careful. They're yeah. not going to throw any individuals under the bus. They're not, they're not going to go you know, too far off the rails with what they, sh what they share. But there's something so funny about as soon as I turn off that recording, they like need to unburden themselves. And it's like, oh, here's the thing I couldn't, I couldn't tell you. So that happens. So we build a deeper relationship there. And then inevitably what happens is they're like, well, wait a minute. You know, we're getting ready to take on this next phase of the project. What do you guys do? I, I yeah. like word for word. That's almost what happens every time. And now here we are in a very natural sales conversation. I get to talk a little bit about what we do and how we provide value and the other work that we do for other clients. It's, it's magic. And it's such, a, it's such a networking opportunity, right? It leads to other relationships. Right. I mean, exactly. I've seen this on having done this podcast for over a year now is that I've had multiple guests who once we have a conversation like this, we stop recording and they say, you know who you should talk to is so-and-so. Yep. They would be perfect for this. And that's how I've ended up with several of, of, of the guests I've been lucky enough to interview. But I think also from a content sharing perspective, you know, we talked earlier about the customer doesn't want the product knowledge data dump. What they want is insights from you about how you can make their lives better. And you know, that you can build that trust and credibility that you understand what their day-to-day -day life is like, right? Yeah. And that's what content like this largely does. Well, and, and that's, that's the beauty. So at the core of it and at the core of kind of that relationship and the, the network that you're building, it's about them, right? Because then the next thing that happens is I get to say, hey, Will, your, your episode is live. We've got it all out there. Now we get to kind of celebrate together. And, and that's another opportunity for us to kind of um, check in with each other and, and you know, progress the, the conversation and, and the relationship. But then from a repurposing perspective, I've captured stories. Yeah. Now I'm having a conversation with another client or, or another prospect. And I'm like, oh, you know who dealt with something just like that is these folks. Yeah. And I don't even have to, they don't even have to talk directly. I can just refer them to the podcast episode. Hey, we talked about that here. You spend 20 minutes listening to this. I think you'll be able to get some, some really good uh, perspective. And then my own marketing team has, you know, we turn these into uh, blog posts and mm -hmm. articles and we've done a magazine. This is my favorite part. Then I get to turn around with some of these folks, and, and oftentimes these are some of my best clients. I get to put you on a cover of a magazine. How cool is that? 
Yeah, I think that that idea of being able to take snippets from whatever, you know, podcasts like this or articles and and share them with your customer and prospect and say just what you did, which is, you know who has had that exact same issue that you're talking about is this person and go to this and you can listen to them talk for 20 minutes about how they dealt with it. And yeah. it's such a such a value creator, I think, right? For your, yeah. for your and customers. It's, and again, it's it's easy. Like all I'm doing is I schedule an hour and I talk to somebody. I'm pretty good at that. And then I kind of hand it over and, you know, you've got the audio editors that do their thing and you've got the show notes people that do their thing. And then, you know, and then our marketing team will kind of package it all up and, and put it on the website and do all of that stuff. But my actual work is super minimal. It's how I'm able to do all of this stuff, by the way, because everybody looks at, at what I'm doing. They're like, oh my God, Scott, how the heck are you doing all of this? You've got a multi-million dollar quota. You've got two and a half, three podcasts. You're hosting these events. Like what in the heck? Yeah, there's a lot, a lot of support in the background, right? Exactly. Um, so this is a bit general, but I think it's a good question to ask you, which is simply, what do you think customers want most today from the modern B2B salesperson versus, you know, let's say four or five years ago? I don't, I don't know that my answer is different now versus four or five years ago. I don't think anything's really changed from that perspective. I think what a buyer wants is they, they want a collaborator. They, they mm -hmm. want somebody that's going to help them solve their issue. They want somebody that's going to be honest with them. They want somebody that's, that's really, truly going to understand what they're trying to accomplish. That's, that's going to do the work to figure out whether or not they're, they have the right solution and then it can help. And if they are, then they become just a, a great guide in kind of navigating uh, the, the buying process. But more importantly, not just the buying process. And, and I talk about this a lot as we get into kind of mutual action plans and, and the way that we're uh, collaborating with our clients through a deal. If you're building a Again, it's a mutual action plan because if you're calling it a closed plan, A, you're wrong right out of the gate. But if that plan, if the end of that plan is contract signature, you're doing mm -hmm. it wrong. The end of that plan has to be client success, client result. If you do this right, the, the quote unquote close is super anticlimactic because it's just another step in the process. And it's not even, it, it's important to you. Yes, it's important to your organization. Absolutely but it's not the most important step. Most important step is my delivering on what I promised to the client, even though that may not be my job, right? I'm, I'm probably handing a lot of that off to a delivery team, to a client success team, to an implementation partner, but it's still incumbent upon me to make sure that we delivered on what we promised because that is what's going to lead to a whole bunch of future opportunities. They're going right. to buy from me again. They're going to refer me to others. They're going to do reference calls for me. It's going to compound the impact that I'm able to have that than if I had just focused on cool, I close this deal and didn't worry about what happens after that. Yeah. That's such an important mindset at that idea of you, when you close a deal, you are far from at the finish line with that customer. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, a couple of the recent episodes that I've done on this podcast were around goal setting and around more effective time management and the attention that goal setting needs. And we've talked about that a little bit previously and how goal setting is such a driver of motivation to understand what you're doing, all this in service of, right? What would you say that goal clarity, 
Let's talk a bit more about goal clarity and time management and prioritization and how that factors into a salesperson's mindset and, and ultimately their success. Yeah. I, I mean, with, without, there, there's no way I can cover kind of the productivity thing in, in just a handful of minutes. And I'll, I'll share a, a link or two with you that you can put into the show notes for folks to, to go check out. I, I did a presentation at one of our sales success summits a, a few years ago on, on my own productivity process, because that is absolutely my superpower. And, and it really is about, it's about focus and it's about prioritization and it, it's about kind of just making decisions about what is the most important stuff and putting yourself in a position that you can just go execute because you don't have to make micro decisions throughout the day in terms of what do I do next? Like I finished yeah. that now what, um, and getting distracted and blown up by your inbox and by social media and, and whatever else. The goal setting piece, while important, I actually think, and I'm going to go back to that conversation with, with Luke, I think it's more important to think about habit setting and, and thinking yeah. about the, um, again, those inputs, like what are the things that you can control? What are the most important things that you need to do? rather than fixating on, I'm trying to get to 200% of my number. Like, yeah. okay, that's great. That's fine. But how are you going to do that? Why are you going to do the, the work that needs to get there? What habits and processes and behaviors do you need to have and consistently do to, to get there? That, that underlying fundamental piece is way more impactful than kind of the traditional smart goal stuff. Yeah, I think what you're saying is 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 perfect because the I think habit setting is really that intersection between goal setting and time management, right? It's, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's right at the heart of it. That's You've got your long term goals. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, a goal is great, but what are you going to do? Right. No, I th I, but I think that's a great articulation to talk about it in terms of habit setting. Yeah. Versus goal setting. Um, now we, we talked, uh, already you offered some great insights around the role of, of coaching and, and mentoring and fostering a salesperson's belief and helping them uncover their why and helping them uncover their superpower. Let's talk about beliefs when it comes to companies elevating the right salesperson into that sales leadership role, because I'm sure you've seen this, that of course the knee jerk is who's the top performer. That's going to be the next sales leader, right? And that's often a huge miss, either because they just often because I think that they are they don't have the right attitude themselves about what it means to be a leader, and they just don't have that willingness. So, what what is it about beliefs when it comes to helping a salesperson that's been elevated into a leadership role shift their, their mindset? Yeah, such such a great question, and I, I think part of the challenge has has been that it kind of feels like that that is the most natural progression that you're supposed to go from seller to leader. I coined the term years ago and consider myself to be an intentional individual contributor. Mm -hmm. I don't lead a team on purpose. It's a choice for a whole lot of reasons that we don't necessarily need to get into. At the same time, I lead from the field. Like I don't need that title. I don't need to have people that report to me to be able to impact my organization beyond my own territory and my own quota, right? Right. 
one of the things that I have seen and probably need to lean into this a little bit more, but over, over time, as you can imagine, many of the people that I've interviewed on sales success stories have moved into leadership positions. Some of them have been extraordinarily successful. Some of them have gone, yep, that was the wrong choice. I'd like to take a little bit of credit for this. They realized and recognized, oh, that's not the only path. I can go back to being an individual contributor. Maybe that wasn't the right role for me. I, yeah. I think the biggest mindset and, and the biggest shift is there's those that seem to make that transition the best and be the most successful, get the most satisfaction from seeing other people win, not from the closing of the deal. If yeah. you still need, like, if you still need that win, if, if it's still about the deal and the close, you're probably not ready for leadership. Yeah. It's the shift from I'm I want to be able to serve my customers and I want to be on the front lines to I want to be able to serve my team and I want to be able to right. help them win and see those results. That's the most important thing because once you get there, then you can do the hard work that we talked about earlier in coaching the individual and and doing that work to help everybody on on your team succeed and find yeah. their own superpowers and and get to their own great results. It just comes down to that motivation, right? Like what, why, why, why are you doing this? It's shifting your, the, that lens to, to see that your team is your customer now, right? That's right. Yeah. That's right. hundred percent. And, yeah. and again, you know, just, just like a great salesperson is kind of that conduit between the buyer and your organization, right? I'm helping them get the right solution and make sure that it gets implemented in the right way so that they get the results. When you're in that leadership role, you're that conduit between the individuals on your team and the rest of your organization, right? Are you helping them get the resources and the training and whatever else that they need from leadership, from other departments, right? Are you helping them navigate their deals and, and get access to the other resources that they need across the organization from product, from customer success, from customer service? from legal, from finance, all of those other pieces that they may or may not have like the access and relationships with yet. You've got to find that salesperson that has a passion for developing and, and serving others. And, you know, an analogy that, that one of my colleagues uses is a, like a basketball analogy to say, you've got to understand that you're no longer on the court taking yeah. a shot. Yeah. You're on the sideline helping to direct the flow of what's going on. And at least basketball is really, really clean because like if, as a coach, if you step onto the court, you're getting the technical or getting thrown out of the game. Like that's a really big problem in sales. That line is not nearly so clear. I think that's a trap that a lot of people step in, fall into is it's just too easy to, to like, I'm going to step onto the court and, yeah, and that yeah, it's, true. it's, it hurts. It hurts everyone short term. Yeah, maybe, but long term, you're killing yourself. Right. No, that's true. It's a much, much blurrier line, right? Yeah. Um, so let, let's end with something that's just sort of open-ended, but for a salesperson listening to this and listening to you, that might be, let's say they're in the top 20% or even the top 10% in their company. What's one other thing that you would tell them that could help them make that leap to the quote unquote, the top 1%? Yeah. Two, two things. Um, one, it starts with the decision. Like you just have to decide that, mm. that you're going to make that leap and, and you're going to do the work because it's hard. You're going to do the work that it takes to get there. There's a pretty good chance you already know what that work is. 
Um, yeah. I, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to figure out like, what is the silver bullet? What is the secret sauce? I can tell you there isn't one. If there was, I would have found it by now. <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know what to do. You just have to do the hard work. So it starts with that decision. It goes back to the mindset, right? Like you, you, yes. you have to just decide from there. And I'm a little bit biased in, in this, but I, I think you have to surround yourself with greatness. And, and that's really what I've tried to build and develop in the CL success community so that people have access to other people that are on a similar path, because sadly it's a minority, right? Yeah. Most, most sales professionals, like this is a job, right? It, it's a different level when this becomes, this is, this is my profession. This is my right. craft. And, and you're really, really working on mastering that craft. In order to do that, you really have to surround yourself with, with greatness. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of Mental Selling. If you're curious to hear what we'll talk about next, stick around to listen to a sneak peek. If you're not serving directly the customer, and it doesn't matter if we call them customer, clients, doesn't matter. If you're not dealing directly with one of them, you're supporting somebody that is, or you're part of the process that is going to impact that experience. Even people who think they have nothing to do with the customer, they never see the customer and they never talk to the customer. They work in a warehouse. And all they do is they pull things off a shelf and put them in a box and then it gets shipped out. But what happens if they don't put everything in the box? What happens if they put it in the wrong way, don't wrap it and it breaks in shipment? Whose fault was that? Well, it was that person in the warehouse, yet they have a great impact on the customer experience. Thank you for listening. And I really hope you've enjoyed this episode of Mental Selling. Please make sure that you're subscribed. And as always, leave us a comment or a rating, share it with your networks, You'll get more content like this on our website at integritysolutions.com. Until next time, I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions. Thanks very much again for being with us.